Welcome to the St. Paul's Episcopal Church podcast. Here, we will share our thoughts, voices, and prayers. St. Paul's is a progressive community of faith with ancient roots. You can find out more about St. Paul's at their website, stpauls.dioup.org, or find us on Facebook. If you would like to share your words on this podcast, send us a message. May God's peace be with you today and always. twice a week, three, four. Words twice a week on Thursdays is a series of preliminary questions and thoughts regarding the lectionary texts for this Sunday. This probably works best if you have the uh, look, have looked over the lessons or have them at hand to scan as we go through. And for this Sunday, that would be Exodus 20, 1 to 17, Psalm 19, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25, and John 2, 13 to 22. As I say, this is presented as a series of bulleted lists, and I'm using this sound to represent each uh, bullet point and the start of a new thought. So here we go. Some thoughts on the lectionary texts for this Sunday. Psalm 19, the heavens are telling the glory of God. There's a link on the website to some music. Uh, two parts to this psalm, verses 1 to 6, speak of what Thomas Berry, I think, again, geez, I used to know this stuff, called the created word. In fact, Berry went so far as to say that we should put the Bibles on the shelf for a year or two and learn about the creator from the primary source, the creation. And then secondly, um, verses 7 to 11, again, what Berry called the revealed word. How do these two themes play off against each other? Does the law of God and all of our thinking about human life compare to the sun and all of our experiencing of creation? The heavens and the firmament are witnessing here, in particular the sun. What do we learn or understand about the world, about life, about God from looking at the sky? And then verses 7 to 11, rejoice in God's law under a variety of terms, law, testimony, precepts, etc. Are those all the same or different aspects of the same thing? And different descriptions, perfect, sure, right, pure, etc. Again, is that just piling up a variety of words to create a sense of completeness, or are there really distinctions? And then four aspects of following the law. Reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes. Which would you gravitate towards today? Verses 11 to 13, hidden faults. And note that nothing is hidden from the sun. And presumptuous sins are pretty much the extremes 
If you can keep yourself from these, and therefore from all the stuff in between, you'll do well. Life will be sweeter than honey. So would baklava be a good sacramental image then. Exodus 20, 1 to 17, the 10 words for life. Okay, you can find the whole movie on YouTube. I was looking for just a five or 10 minute clip when the lightning comes in and carves the words on the rock, but I couldn't find it. Note the narrative context. Israel has just arrived at Mount Sinai after being delivered from bondage in Egypt. They haven't done anything to deserve anything. God starts off by self-introduction. I am the one who brought you out of Egypt, bondage. How did you get introduced to God? For me, with a picture of Jesus with the children, one of them holding an airplane, I think, and someone, something that we talked and prayed to, nothing as specific and realistic as being delivered from bondage in Egypt. Egypt. And why the explanations in verse 4 to 6 and 8 to 11? Probably the 10 words were used for preaching and teaching, and some of that has worked its way into the story here. Note that in the Deuteronomy 5 list of the 10 words, remember the Sabbath is tied to the Exodus. Here, it's tied to the creation. So there's one word on who God is, three on how to worship God, and six on how to live as God's people. So worship is the central channel for encountering God, for accessing God's power. But salvation is not limited to the worship experience, but needs to spill over into the rest of life. The ten words acknowledge that we always serve someone, something. Freedom is never absolute. Well, for humans, it is for God. Who, what do we serve today? Other gods, the isms of our day? The Sabbath rest breaks the vicious cycle of consumerism, or it used to. What about today? Are there other ways that we confront consumerism? Life with God rightly ordered means life in human community is healthy. Hmm, I like that. Don't use God's name in areas that are outside God's agenda. And then finally, the joke about the minister whose hat was stolen and decided to preach on the Ten Commandments, coming down hard on number eight, stealing. Only when he got to number seven, he remembered where he'd left his hat. So the psalm in the Old Testament lesson are usually chosen to harmonize, or maybe even the psalm is chosen as a response to the Old Testament lesson. In the lectionary, the psalm is usually listed second after the Old Testament. Does it make a difference which one we read first? What do you think? 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25, the wisdom and foolishness of the cross. Quotation here, the difficulty in discovering the presence of God is the preconceived expectations of who God is and how God ought to behave. In other words, our concept of God. God is kind, powerful, wise, etc., Paul says, dump all that and start with the cross. Quoting again, the text urges that our thinking about God begin not with the assured canons of the academic world, nor with the common sense of the person off the street, parentheses from me, nor with what someone might have put on the internet or in their blog, for Pete's sake, 
but with the word of the cross. John 2, 13-22, Jesus casting out the money changers. Note there are two stories in this chapter which John identifies as signs. Jesus turning the water into wine and Jesus casting out the money changers. Some would say these two stories are meant to interpret each other. Think so? In one, Jesus turns water into wine as he turns existence into life. In the other, Jesus replaces the animal sacrificial system with his own death and resurrection. This is casting out of the money changers and animal sellers a criticism of the whole sacrificial system or just of how it was being done. Is it appropriate to have a gift shop, coffee shop, in the gathering area of the church? This is a Passover story, and it was drilled into me that Passover stories in the Gospel of John are always, always, always about the crucifixion. The other Gospels also include this story, but towards the end where it begins the Passion narrative and is one of the things that leads the religious establishment to call for Jesus' death. Note that in John 2, verse 4, Jesus mentions his hour, which has not yet come, but kind of like a passion prediction, kind of like saying that the whole gospel is a passion narrative. So it's different chronologically, but not theologically. And note, remember also that in John, nobody takes Jesus' life. He offers it. Contrast of values between Jesus and the religious establishment over what the Messiah means. Like Paul says, dump everything you thought you knew and start with the cross. Jesus speaks from above and they hear from the earth. Jesus says what is true and they hear what is apparent. Hmm, that's worth settling into a bit. What do we hear? Those last couple of thoughts are from Fred Craddock. Along with this, a temple built as a witness to God and as a means of drawing persons near to God is now an object of adoration, an end in itself. It is therefore ripe for destruction. But in the throes of death, and in a move towards self-preservation, the temple keepers will destroy the one in whom God and humanity meet. Continuing, finally, this is a story, this is still Fred Craddock, this is a story directed to the church. John does not relate this event as a dance over the grave of a grand institution or as an attack on all rites, customs, and special places, but upon their tendency to receive the devotion due to God and God alone. The ancient evil is tenacious, insidious, and slow to die. Who has not known persons who were apparently faithful in all attention to all Christian duties, but who, when there was a change in the building or the minister or pattern of worship, suddenly ended all participation? It is a painful and costly lesson offered by our text. We want to be in charge of our own lives and manage all our relationships with God. Some will even kill if that control is threatened. Why is it so difficult to kneel first before God and listen and then proceed from that perspective to build our altars 
and frame our liturgies. Those who know that Christ is our sanctuary also know what the church building is and is not. End of quote. Woof. So like I said, that last bit was from Fred Craddock, who in my humble opinion is, was, one of the premier expositors, preachers, and teacher of such of the last century. He championed the idea of inductive, suggestive preaching, moving from stories and examples to thoughts about God and life, rather than deductive, laying down the law, this is the way it is. I mention this bit because um, Fred Craddock died on March 6th, 2015. He always had a story to tell, some moving, some thought-provoking, some humorous, and he suggested that we, especially preachers, write down one thing that happened to us each day. Hmm, I wish I'd done that. I didn't, but there you go. He told how once when he was flying, one of his stories, he told how once when he was flying, sitting in one of the back seats of the airplane, and the fellow sitting in the other seat, back seat, was smoking. Even though the sign said no smoking, and the uh, attractive, young stewardess asked him not to. And it seems like there was something else obnoxious that the guy was doing. I can't completely remember. Anyway, as the attractive, young stewardess was serving coffee, the player hit, plane hit an air pocket. And the attractive, young stewardess poured coffee into the obnoxious guy's lap and sat down in Fred's. Who said God isn't just, he said. That's what I got for now.